Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. We are looking at Psalm 25 today. Uh, psalm 25 is another psalm that we're told specifically is a psalm of David. And it begins this way, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. All right, so let's pause there. What does David mean when he says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul? Well, I think one way, one helpful way to, to think about it and understand it is to think about how, you know, we might say that we've poured out our soul to someone. If we've, you know, just told them all our troubles and all our burdens we're carrying, you, you know, you say like, I, I just poured out my soul. Well, David is lifting up his soul to God. Of course, God is in heaven, right? And so the imagery of lifting up rather than pouring out makes sense. Uh, and so I think just what it's saying here is like, I've, I've given my whole soul to you. I've committed my whole self to you. I'm lifting up my soul and trusting myself to you. And that's what he says in verse two, in you I trust, right? And he's asking God not to let him be put to shame. Um, I hadn't really put um, this together until I was reading um, uh, Hamilton's commentary on the Psalms, and, and he mentions how uh, it's very possible because that because David uh, later is going to mention his sin, um, that he may be asking God not to let him be put to shame in the sense of, I don't want my enemies to defeat me in battle as a result of my sin, which we know happens in the Old Testament, right? That um, uh, someone like in the, among the people of Israel, uh, might sin and rebel against God, and part of the consequence for that would be that they would then um, lose a battle against their enemies. And so David's asking for that not to happen. And then verse 4, he says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. So he wants to know God's ways, meaning uh, what does God do? How does God act? He wants to understand uh, the way that the Lord works. And he wants to understand, um, well, excuse me, he wants to be led, right, in God's truth. So he wants to walk in the right way. He wants to understand God's ways. He wants to be taught by the Lord. And then he says at the end of verse 5, for you I wait all the day long. Now, when you read that statement, you might think, well, that's not something I can do. Right? That's the kind of thing that maybe monks could do, just you know, sit around and wait uh, all day long, praying and reading the Bible and things like that. But that's not necessarily what David is talking about. You can wait while doing other things, right? You can anticipate while you are working, right? So it, you can be going about your day doing the things that you need to do while your heart is uh, you know, anxious, as it were, anticipating uh, the arrival of something or of someone. And that, I think, is is a better way to think about what David is saying. It's not that David's doing nothing, right, just sitting around waiting uh, for God to show him a sign or something. He's likely going about all the things that he needs to do. And yet, at the same time, his the posture of his heart is one of anticipation right, for the Lord to show up somehow. Uh, so then in verse 6, he says, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. 
for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. All right, so he says, he asks God to remember something and not to remember something. And when we think about this, we need to remember that for God to remember or not remember does not mean the same thing that it means for us, right? Because God knows everything, right? God is omniscient, right? He's all-knowing. There's nothing about us that he doesn't know. There's nothing about us that he has forgotten. But when the word remember is used in relation to God in the Bible, uh, usually, if not always, uh, but at least usually, it refers to, it, it has to do with God beginning to act on something. So, for example, in the book of Genesis, after the flood, remember God has warned Noah about the flood, told him to build a boat, saved Noah and his family, had all the, uh, the you know, pairs of animals go on to the ark. And then it says at the, uh, toward the beginning of, of chapter 8, I believe it is, of Genesis, that God remembered Noah. And it's at that point that the story turns uh, and the flood begins to recede and so on. So what does it mean for God to remember Noah? It's not that God forgot Noah was out there in the boat, right? But instead, it, it means that God is now beginning to act on Noah's behalf so that there will be a, a new world, as it were, for Noah and his family to step into and, and inhabit. So when God remembers Noah, he begins to act to disperse the flood uh, so that there will once again be dry land for Noah and his family Um to you know leave the ark and and live upon so when david says here uh remember your mercy but do not remember my sins what he's saying is god act toward me according to your mercy and not according to what my sins deserve instead um he says according to your steadfast love remember me so act toward me based on your steadfast love not based on what uh, I deserve because of my sin. So that's what he's praying for there. Then verse 8, he says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Uh, so he's some of the goodness of the Lord and how God cares for the humble, for the weak, for those who, in the eyes of the world, are not terribly significant or not terribly powerful, this is one of God's ways, right? One of God's, when David says, you make me to know your ways, one of God's ways is to care for the weak, the vulnerable, uh, and the humble. And so he's uh, talking about that here, how God uh, leads the humble. Most uh, powerful people don't care about weak and vulnerable people. But God, who is all-powerful, does care about the weakest and uh, the least of these, so to speak. Uh, we see all throughout the Bible his concern for uh, widows and orphans and others who are, um, again, vulnerable and, and weak or experiencing various kinds of uh, hardships. He cares for them. Uh, then verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. David acknowledges, right, he's acknowledged before, he acknowledges here again, 
that he has guilt, that he has sinned, that he needs the Lord to pardon and forgive. But then he also talks about the person who fears the Lord and the blessings that come to those who fear the Lord, right? To those who um, have a, a healthy sense of God's greatness and holiness, who are in awe of him, to <clears throat> mean awe of him, and so on. Those, he says, you know, are the ones who are going to uh, experience well-being. Those are the ones whose uh, offspring are going to inherit the land. Those are the ones who are counted as, you know, friends of the Lord, and so on. Then verse 16, he says, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. And uh, I love that that brief statement there in verse 16, that uh, calling upon God to turn toward him, to, to um, you know, focus his attention upon him, so to speak, um, to be gracious to him. And then the reason why he says is because I'm lonely and afflicted. That, um, that made me think about how, um, you know, recently there's been talk about the, um, the great sense of loneliness that so many people in our culture feel and how um, serious that is and how concerning and how troubling. Um, but not only that, um, Hamilton had uh, something really insightful to say uh, about this passage that I hadn't thought of before either. He says, both loneliness and difficulty. So he mentions, you know, David mentions affliction here. Hamilton says, both loneliness and difficulty result in spiritual and physical vulnerability opening us up to temptation, right? So when you are lonely, when you are in a trying situation, uh, he says you're especially vulnerable to temptation, right? To, uh, you know, attacks from the enemy, those kinds of things. And so David um, gives that as the reason why he needs God to turn toward him and be gracious to him, right? He's in need. He's lonely and afflicted. And then verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sin. So again, he's, he's asking God here for forgiveness. He's asking God for deliverance, for rescue, for help. And then verse 19, he says, Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Uh, so there also he talks about his enemies. Uh, once, he, once again, he mentions not wanting to be put to shame. Uh, he mentions that he takes refuge in God, which is something we see uh, often in the Psalms, that God is our protector, our defender, our, our safe place, so to speak, where we can go and, and uh, be delivered from our enemies and be uh, pardon from our sin and find um, peace, right? And and again, refuge uh, in the Lord there. And um, he talks about his enemies, right? Who he needs rescue from. And then, he, then he ends by asking God to redeem all of his people, right? All of Israel, not just about David, but about all God's people there as well. Now, uh, how do we connect this psalm to Jesus? Well, there's a lot of things um, that we can see in here pointing toward Christ. Um, first of all, I mean, something that's true in all of the Psalms, but I feel like it's especially helpful to think about in this Psalm, is that everything that's said here about the Lord is true of Christ, right? He is God in the flesh. His character is the same as the Father, right? And so is the Holy Spirit. So 
of anything it affirms about God, about his mercy, goodness, steadfast love, and on and on and on. All those things are true of Christ as well. Uh, when it talks about God teaching the humble, right, that's uh, something that Christ does as well. When it talks about uh, the need for his enemies to be uh, ashamed and defeated and for, for him not to be ashamed, Right, that reminds us that Christ's enemies were defeated and that Christ was victorious. It looked like he had lost at the time of his death, but his resurrection proved right that he was who he said he was, that his enemies had been triumphed over. Uh, you can look at Colossians 2, 14 and 15 talks about that. Um, we also know that Jesus experienced the kind of uh, affliction and distress that David talks about in this psalm. Right? Because Jesus took on flesh and blood and became like one of us, uh, the book of Hebrews talks about how that makes him a merciful and faithful high priest, that he uh, sympathizes with our weaknesses. He has um, he has experienced right, those kinds of things that we experience. He's, uh, he became just like us, except he never sinned. Um, and uh, also, <clears throat> when David cries out for deliverance, we know that uh, Jesus was delivered as well. Right uh, from his enemies, um, we know that um, he above all. I didn't point this out uh, earlier, but in verse twenty-one, uh, David says, "May integrity and uprightness preserve me." In other words, going forward, right, David's already confessed his sins in the past, but going forward, help me to do what's right. Help me to be upright. Help me to act with integrity, um, so that I'll be preserved. Right. Well, nobody had more uprightness and integrity than Jesus did, right? Because he was sinless. Uh, and then, of course, the way David ends the psalm with a prayer for God to redeem all of his people, uh, that's exactly what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection was uh, redeeming all of God's people. So what can we learn about how we should pray, how we can pray from Psalm 25? Pray for deliverance, right? Pray for God to teach you his ways. Say, God, I want to know, uh, I want to know you better. I want to understand how you work, what you do, what your priorities are, what you love, what you, you know, on and on and on. Uh, teach me your ways. Ask him for that. Ask him to lead you. Um, ask him to remember his love, but not your sins, right? To treat you according to his mercy and not according to what um, would be just, right? For you to receive punishment for those sins. Um, remind yourself as you pray of what is true about God, of his character, right? What he's like. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to help you, right? Confess your needs, your weaknesses. That's good. You don't have to pretend like you have it all together when you pray. God knows better, right? Let him know. I mean, he knows, but tell him. Uh, and then finally, ask God to guard and protect you, to help you walk uprightly and with integrity, to help you um, follow faithfully 